may not have a film fixation, but we're here for a noir education. Beebity boo, doot doodle doo, dee da pow. And welcome to a real education noir. Uh, I am Melissa, and this is Allie, and we are here tonight to discuss the postman always rings twice. Now, it's just the two of us for right now, but our third person, Wendy, will be here after the break because she will be joining us at the theater where we're actually going to watch this movie with other people, with other people on the big screen and stuff. I'm so excited. I know, right? So after our break, which is during which we will go to a theater and actually see this movie on screen, we will pick up Wendy and then she will join us for the afterthoughts about Postman Always Rings Twice. So, Allie, I hear you've never seen the movie before. This is correct. What do you know about The Postman Always Rings Twice? Not a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm terrible. I was like, I could research this because I know I'm going to record a podcast about it. But it's a lot funnier if I don't. That, yeah, that's true. And that's, that's I'm actually... I'm for the comedy. <laughs> that, is, that is actually, you know, part of our structure. You know, if, if you are coming cold to this, we, we should get the fresh insights yes. into I, I'm assuming yeah. someone else listening to this podcast is in my shoes and is like, I don't know anything about this thing. I'm gonna listen to some ladies talk about the thing. <laughs> and and so here we are. Now Allie, honestly, I have actually never seen this movie either. What? I know I, I feel know. so misled right now. I know, I know. I do know quite a bit about it. I have seen other versions of this story, but I have never I have never seen the classic film noir nineteen forty six. I, th I believe it's 1946 uh, edition of this story. It is a very famous film noir. It is uh, based on a novel that was adapted four times into movies and into various stage productions and you know TV movies and stuff like that. The one we're watching tonight is actually the third adaptation of this novel. Uh, the first one was French. The second one was Italian. Uh, the second one was actually called Accession, and it was uh, directed by Lucino Visconti. It was his first movie. Ooh. So famous Italian director got his launch off of this same story. This third one, uh, which is the most famous version, stars John Garfield and Lana Turner, who are, as I hear, phenomenal. This is a defining yes. role for Lana Turner. And then there was a fourth version in 1981 with Jack Nicholson and Jessica Lange. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that's a thing. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? The story is very famous for being steamy. Ooh. It's, this, this script was in development for 12 years because it took that long to remove that much sex out of it. <laughs> so it could actually be made into an American movie during the Hays Code. Yeah, I can see I can see where that would be a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if it started out as a French and Italian adaptation. Yeah. Doing it right though. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm very excited to see this, especially in the big screen. Yes, with other people. That's gonna be so weird. Mm -hmm. And so awesome. So uh dear listeners, if you are local, what I do recommend you do in the future is look at the schedule for the Heights Theater in Columbia Heights, Minnesota, where they show stuff like this on a regular basis. Yes. Uh, a lot of times they also show first-run movies, but they they do quite a bit to get these fantastic older films on the screen once again. So anyway, that's what we're going to do. We are going to go to the Heights Theater and enjoy The Postman Always Rings Twice. We are back from the theater, and we have a Wendy with us, so all, th all three of us are here. Say hello um, again, Wendy. Hello. Yay. It was Yay. so beautiful on the big screen. I am yeah. so, so delighted that the Heights showed that. 
Yay. Yes. It, Yay. It, it really was amazing. So all three of us had never seen this movie before. Uh-uh. And, and all three of us were in the midst of this very full audience. Very yes. much enjoying it. Very much enjoying the movie. And wow, was it a thing. Oh, <laughs> I am so glad I saw those legs on the big screen right? for the first time. Right? Yeah. The first time I saw those legs, that they were that big. That they were all the way up there. Yeah. Whew. Lana Turner's entrance is a thing from cinema history. You know, oh. Legs you, for days. Legs. The minute you hear the drop and the roll and he looks down, you're like, well, this is her entrance, and I bet it's going to be one. <laughs> and it, it was. There, there it all is. Yeah. Oh, and the way she, he's like, is this yours? Yes. And she just holds her hand out. And he's like, huh, I'm just going to lean back here. Wait for you to come to me instead. I'm like, oh, it set up their dynamic immediately. Beautifully. Yeah. Amazing visual way to establish <sighs> that. So so let's back up a moment. Let's, first of all, let's summarize what we just saw since, you know, there might be a listener or two out there who have, have not seen the movie yet. Well, so, I, well, I had yeah. never. So. Pause this podcast right now. Go see the movie. Yeah, see the movie. We highly recommend you see the movie before listening to the rest of this. But just in case you're here to get a sense of what it's about before seeing it, well, here's what went on. All right. Uh, Drifter Chambers. What was his first name? Frank. 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 Drifter Frank Chambers, who reminded me a lot of um, Mandem. Oh, Charles Bronson? Yeah, there was just something about his face and his voice and the way he moved. Yeah, act- actor John Garfield. He had a character actor's face. Yeah, yes. and he moved He moved like a bruiser. And mm-hmm. he was a short little guy. He so moves I, like he has presence. Well, and, and he... he He's stocky. Yes. Like Mm -hmm. there's, you wouldn't call him graceful. No. No. Anyway, so Drifter Frank Chambers arrives, um, arrives on the coast of California. He's hitched a ride with, as it turns out, the district attorney. That comes up later. It doesn't seem important right now. And he stops at a roadside diner where they are saying, hey, we need a man to help around the house, to help around the business of this gas station and restaurant. And he he states from the get-go, I'm a drifter, I've got itchy feet, I don't stay anywhere too long, this is the life I love. And Nick comes out, this jovial older man, and he's all round and friendly and fun. You kind of like him a lot. Mm-hmm. And he comes out, he's like, oh, hey, you want the job? I don't know. And he's like, come in, I'll give you a hamburger. And by the time you eat the hamburger, you're going to want the job because it's a tasty <laughs> hamburger. Let me show you. You get free food when you work for me. No expenses. And you, you get live... a bed with a box spring. Yes. yes. <laughs> he even says that. It's a good oh bed. God, it's yeah. got a box spring. And you sleep for free. You eat for free. You got no expenses. And I pay you. What? What's not to like? And I'm kind of actually thinking, hey, that's a good deal. Right? Well, yeah, sweet. So a car pulls up. Nick has to run outside to help him, and that's when you hear the clatter and then the roll of the lipstick against his foot. He turns and he looks, and there is Lana Turner in the doorway, and she is wearing white heels, very nice, yes, and this white short shorts ensemble, like she's got little shorts on with a little halter top, and her hair all up in like a white. Um, turban turban thing. thing and she's standing there like checking her makeup with the light beautifully across her with a sharp shadow too mm-hmm. and she's in a doorway so she's in a frame and it's just the lighting on that shot yeah. yep. it, Needle- it, it's epic needless it's epic. to say frank immediately you know auga, auga, and she is immediately drawn to him so the basic plot from then on is they fall in love she leaves with Frank and literally they don't get too far down the road when they're trying to hitchhike. And she's like, this is shit. I hate this. This is not the life I want. I'm going back. If only I could divorce him. But if I divorce him, I don't get to keep the restaurant. And I really want to keep the restaurant because I want to make something of myself. 
So I'm going to go back. So you know what's going to happen. Yeah. So they... So they plot to kill him. They try to kill him. It fails. He ends up in the hospital. It makes the DA suspicious. Now he's got his eye on them. And Frank... And he comes back from the hospital and she's like, we can't do this again. This is horrible. And Frank leaves. Well, then Frank ends up coming back. It doesn't matter how. And this is when Nick announces he's got good news. He's going to sell the restaurant... He's going to get Frank a job managing it to the next guy because he's going to take Lana Turner. Her name is Cora. That's her character name. Mm -hmm. He is going to sell the business and they're going to move up to northern Canada so that Cora can be the live-in caretaker for his paralyzed sister. And won't that just be the life? (laughs) And she's all, what? The best (laughs) part of that scene is her face oh yeah oh, oh my god well we'll yeah. talk about that oh soon. yeah yeah um so needless to say they're quickly back on the you know what as a matter of fact let us actually kill this man they stage a drunken car accident except that the da was suspicious and followed them and he immediately nabs them and then there's this really excellent court sequence with hume cronin that's fantastic <laughs> and uh, Hume Cronin manages to get them both off because he's amazeballs, and the, but the DA is still <laughs> sniffing around, and now she's mad at Frank because Frank was a coward and was going to turn her in, and Frank's mad at her, and they hate each other, but they love each other, but then there's stuff, but then, ah, uh, and then maybe they hate, oh, and then they get blackmailed, but then they don't, and ah, uh, and... I love you. Do you really love me? I really love you. Let's go for a long swim to prove how much we love each other. And of course, we're all thinking somebody's gonna die. But they don't. She actually meant it. Mm -hmm. And then they come back. They get in the car. They're happy. They're going to be happy together. They're going to build a life because they love each other. And he turns to kiss her and he takes his eyes off the road. And he runs into a pole and he kills her. And the DA is like, ha, I knew it. You killed her to get her money because you killed the husband to get his money. You're going to go to jail. And then he's in and he does. And he goes yeah. to jail and he gets the death sentence. Because because of the Hayes Code, nobody can get away from anything. Nobody can get away okay. with anything. Everybody has to get their comeuppance. Except it was, it was this one I didn't actually mind. Mm-hmm. I was kind of like, these two are really, they're number one perfect for each other, but this isn't, they're never going to. No, they're never going to figure this one out. It's just going to be a chain of murders. It's just going to be a chain of fucked up shit happening to these two. Yeah. So this probably for the best, for the, you know, just for the people around them. So there's no, you know, fallout and collateral damage. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the plot. Yeah. I tried. That was a brief summary and it still took a while. There oh, was yeah. a lot that fucking happened. A lot going on. There's there's a cat that gets electrocuted. <laughs> oh, my God. That cat. <laughs> that damn cat. <laughs> Cats don't know nothing about electricity. Dead as a doornail. That sure was a pretty cat. But not, not so bright, though. <laughs> Speaking of not bright, the cop seemed, Good. like, seriously? A little fixated on the cat, like M-O-O-N spells cat. What the yeah. hell? completely accurate. <laughs> completely 110% accurate description yes. of that character. Yes. <laughs> I, oh, wow. wow. That, wow. that cat, the cat, the inclusion with cat was just baffling. And oh Hume Cronin is handling it. Oh, he, he is, is handling, handling it. He will handle everything. Yeah. I feel like he should have been a drag queen for the, how sharp he looked, the way he walked in and the way he, I mean, he might as well have just done a Z snap. Just like, I am handling it. Well, shut up and sit down. <laughs> Except he's way too handsome and masculine and wonderful. I mean, it's. He doesn't read, but I mean, he just had that presence that a drag queen has when they walk in the room and they just stride. And then they're like, I would like you all to know that I'm better than you. (laughs) He was better than anything in that movie, except Lana Turner and her legs. That's true. Yeah. I do know in the wedding sequence, I for a second got confused and thought she had married. I totally did too. (laughs) I would have paid cash money to see that. (laughs) Out of spite to Frank. Yes. Yes. I've got this figured out. I'm going to marry you. 
fucker. That's right, I did that. That just happened. Oh, yeah. Now oh. that $10,000 really is yours. Except that I was like, no, Hume Cronin wouldn't be that stupid. No. He would not marry that woman. No, no, no. no. So, yeah, Hume Cronin, who uh, lived actually till 2003, he had a nice long life. Oh, yeah. Um, children of the 80s might recognize him from stuff like Cocoon. Well, and... he had a total second wind of a career. Oh, yeah. Batteries not included and stuff like that. But, you know, during this the film noir era, he was also in a Hitchcock movie called Shadow of a Doubt, which is fantastic. He was also in Cleopatra. He was in a... A whole bunch of stuff. And um, he was for a while, for a long while, married to Jessica Tandy, mm-hmm. another phenomenal actor. And they were in 13 movies together. Well, I mean, they were married. Yeah. They were together till... Like 40 years, 30, 40 I mean, years. I mean, and yeah. they were together till they died. Yeah, pretty much. And uh, yeah, he was Canadian. Did we know he was Canadian? He's we Canadian. A. A, he's Canadian. He became a U.S. citizen later in life, but one of our... Mysterious Canadian friends. Yeah. Yeah. Gotta watch out for them. Yeah. Also, uh, used to be a boxer before he became an actor. Huh. I know, right? Huh. (laughs) He actually was nominated for the Canadian Olympic team one year. Like, good boxer. Wow. Who knew? I did not know that. Yeah. His nose does not indicate that. Yeah, you'd think that would be a target. Yeah, I know, because he knows. He walks in with that nose. Straight and pointy and... (laughs) Woo, hello. He's great. He has an excellent face. And yeah. a, that smile. Uh-huh. Mm. Yeah. F- fans of Hume Cronin, I urge you to check out Shadow of a Doubt. Actually, we'll probably check out Shadow of a Doubt on this podcast yep. at some point because it's fantastic. And it's Hitchcock and it's Hume Cronin. And Joseph Cotton and a lot of other people. Joseph Cotton. I know, right. <gasps> but that's later. That's later. All right. So let's talk about this movie. Yes. Let's talk about this movie. So Lana Turner... As, as a human being, was a very interesting human being. She was discovered while sipping a Coke in a drugstore. Or perhaps in an ice cream parlor. There are conflicting legends. But she's legends. one of the famous yeah. starlet who was discovered just sitting there. Oh my god, she's amazing looking. And oh, she is. Yeah, and she is. Yeah, her first role was sitting in an ice cream parlor, sipping a Coke in a tight sweater. That was her first role in movies. <laughs> <laughs> For a reason. <laughs> wow, you're really good at that. Yeah. People would pay money to watch you do that. She, and they did. And they sure did. She actually started g- getting her fame when uh, she appeared in an Andy Hardy movie with Mickey Rooney. Uh, she was in Love Finds Andy Hardy. Huh. Yeah. So one of the 16,000 Andy Hardy movies that were made with Out Mickey of the Rooney. 30, 3,000 Mickey Rooney as a young man movies. Yeah. (laughs) Very busy young man. Lana Turner was the sort of woman who once counted up all of her pairs of shoes and came up with the number 698 pairs of shoes. At one point in her life, she was living in an apartment and uh, wound up waking up in the middle of the night because the apartment building had caught on fire and the things she grabbed were like her case of lipstick and uh, uh, her eyebrow pencil. And a hairdryer. God bless her. <laughs> I know, right? These are the things that are after important. my own heart. These are I can survive any crisis so long as I have <laughs> my face and my hair. <laughs> she also had seven husbands, eight marriages, seven husbands. And well, oh, she married one twice. <laughs> she married one twice. She married one, annulled it, and then married him again. Okay, honey. I know. None of them lasted more than five years. Most of them oh, were like around the range of six that months. Poor woman. One of them was Artie Shaw, the band leader. <laughs> what? I know, right? Wow. <laughs> um. Uh. Sadly, she was also alcoholic. Um. Struggled with that for a while, and she didn't marry him. But for a long time, she was in a relationship with Johnny Stompanato, who was one of the big gangsters in the L.A. scene. Ooh. And in 1958. Her daughter came home and found him beating Lana Turner. So her daughter stabbed him to death. Good for her. I know, right? So very famous murder case. Wow, I love her daughter. Yeah, I know. And if she raised her, good for you, Lana. You raised a 
spit fire. <laughs> stab Johnny Stompinato to death. I don't give a fuck if you are a mob boss. I'm going to stab you now. Yeah. The year after that, her Lana Turner's big return to movies was Douglas Sirk's Imitation of Life. Ah! ah <laughs> must see! Yeah, yeah, Imitation of Life is a hell of a thing. Another story about Johnny Stompinato was that Johnny Stompinato at one point thought that Lana Turner was having an affair with Sean Connery, or cheating on him with Sean Connery, I should say. So he went over to London and threatened Sean Connery, and Sean Connery knocked him out with one punch and then waited for him to wake up and then said, if I see you around any- here anymore, I will kill you. And Stampinato left London the next day. <laughs> I fucking love Sean Connery. Wow. <laughs> this is a whole Lana Turner's life. This is how wow. Lana Turner's life went. She lived a Douglas Sirk film. Yeah. Her, her, her father was murdered over a craps game in 1930. Oh, and I know. I know, I know. And then, but, you know, her her career lasted throughout her life. Her final big role was on Falcon Crest. She was employed in a soap opera for a couple years mm-hmm. and fondly remembered she as part and of Barbara Falcon Stanwyck. Yeah. So all the ladies of noir got together and said, we're going to do some 80s evening yeah. soap opera. Yeah, if you ever watched Falcon Crest, that was a hell of a thing. Oh, my God. <laughs> Lorenzo Lamas. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, so that he that couldn't was act, Lana. but he could stand around and close. Yeah. <laughs> now John Garfield, another interesting person, you know, who was playing opposite Lana, Frank Chambers. Yeah, not really well remembered these days because no, he, he wasn't had, familiar. Looking he had at all. a very short career. He actually got a start on Broadway. He was one of those Broadway actors that moved over to movies, huh. and he only did uh, about. 30 movies in a short period of time in the in the you know Hollywood studio system but he he died in at, at age 39 he basically had a heart attack and just keeled over oh um the sad thing is about it about the extra sad thing about it was that a year before his career kind of stopped dead because he was investigated by the house of un-American, or the the un-American, un-American. activities Huak, whatever that House Un-American Un-American Activities Activities Committee. committee. And uh, he testified in in front of the committee and said he wasn't a communist, though he was a, you know, he was a leftist and he refused to name names. So basically they killed his career. Yeah. And um, he died on the day that Clifford Odets testified and corroborated that he indeed was not a communist. Oh. Um, So sadly, you know, he... He did not last long. He was in um, some fantastic movies like Gentleman's Agreement, Body and Soul, Force of Evil. Mm. Um, so we'll see him okay, here and who there. Was, who was the DA? The DA, um, I'm going to have to look him up really quickly. Um, by the way, Cecil Calloway, who played Nick, you might recognize him from the movie Harvey. Well, oh. he's done a lot of yeah, things. Yeah, Cecil's been around. He's... He was from South Africa. Now, yeah, you could tell he had a little bit of an accent, and he's just so genial. Yeah, Leon Ames, who played the uh, district attorney, was uh, in Meet Me in St. Louis, which is probably where you, you've seen <gasps> ah, him before. Ah, that's Wendy. the dad. That's where I've seen him before. He was also in Mr. Ed. And Tora, Oh my Tora, God, Tora. he totally was. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> i'm sorry i've been watching a lot of mr ed lately because it just started on on local broadcast <laughs> oh and he was in father of the bride yeah tora 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 peggy sue got married oh yeah but it's meet me in st louis no wonder i kept expecting him to sing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not that he really didn't meet me in st louis but that's what my brain was trying to make him do Okay. Yeah. He, I like him a lot. Boy, he was sure smug in this movie, though. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, um, oh, and uh, uh, Nick, the poor husband, C- Cecil Kellaway, guess who's coming to dinner? Hush, hush, sweet Char- Charlotte, which we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, what? I, the ghost in Mrs. Muir. Yep. Yeah. He's all over the place, too. Kismet. <laughs> ah, Kismet. Uh-huh, that's where I recognized him from. Bewitched. Who is he on Bewitched? 
Was he one of her crazy uncles or was he one of the <laughs> drunk neighbors? <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Wendy's looking at her phone. Well, <laughs> come on. This you, is important. You watch these old movies and you recognize faces. You're like, wait, 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 wait. Where do I know that guy? And before we had the IMDb, you had to just kind of fucking remember. And that was hell. Yeah. And now with the I, IMDb, you can be like, oh, 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 I, oh. I used to have those big, thick books that cross-referenced everything. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. I know, right? I, and I get a new one every year because it was updated for the New Year's movies. Yeah. All right. That's what I had to do. What other trivia do you have? Well, uh, director Tay Garnett um, didn't have a really illustrious career in movies, but he um, started in 1920s in Hollywood as a screenwriter, then moved on to directing did several movies, but in the 1950s, he moved to television. That's where he kind of made his empire, was in te mm. television. Ah. Uh, in terms of movies, he did stuff like Batan and Mrs. Parkington. But perhaps most famously, aside from Postman Always Rings Twice, um, he did Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. With Bing Crosby. With Bing Crosby. Huh. Mm-hmm. Very different film. <laughs> yeah, really. Oh, yeah, oh my he goodness. Was, he was kind of one of those all-purpose directors. I'm going to direct this. Yeah. There's going to be directing. Yeah. And uh, the the writing team was Niven Bush and Harry Ruskin. Niven Bush was known for stuff like Duel in the Sun and huh. Distant Drums with Gary Cooper. Oh, okay. Distant Drums being the movie that originated the Wilhelm scream. <gasps> what? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Let's that all scream. Boy. Ah! <laughs> oh! <laughs> so this was this movie was based on a book this is the third adaptation of the book out of four major screen adaptations of it the book's called postman always rings twice it's not really the the title is not really explained in the book but it's it, it is, isn't because seriously really isn't. i spent the whole movie waiting for them to fucking explain it I went into the movie expecting that there might be I there a postman be... character. Yes, <laughs> I thought there was going to be some literal doorbell ringing and a postman involved. Well, because I knew it was in war and I'm like, maybe the postman is going to help them murder or maybe the postman, like, that's a signal or they've got to do it before the postman comes. Like, that's going to be the timing. What, it is reasonable given noir tropes. Oh, yeah. That yes. there might actually be a postman, but no, it's a fucking metaphor for God, whatever. But the thing is, in the book, it really there it isn't explained at all. If you really want to have some fun, go into Wikipedia, look at the book, and look at the section that tries to interpret <laughs> what the title means. Um, but anyway, it's uh, it is kind of a foundational book in crime fiction in the 20th century. Uh, it's only about a hundred pages long. It's a rip, snort, and read. And um, it, like I said, it, I bet it reads movies. like a fever dream. Probably because <laughs> there's when, probably a lot more sex in it. When you try to explain the plot of the movie, you're like, yeah. "Wow, w wait!" And I'm leaving a lot out. And this, that, that happened, and that, and there was a cat, and then this happened. And Jesus, if in one hundred pages. Mm -hmm. God, talk about a page turner. What the fuck is happening? <laughs> so the other uh, versions of this of this story, the first one was a French film called Le Dernier Tournant, uh, made in 1939, directed by Pierre Chanel. Uh, the next one was Ossession from 1943, Italian film directed by Lucino Visconti, his first movie. I'm trying to think what Le Dernier Tournant means. Is it the wrong turn? I can't help Me it. Meanwhile, Wendy's looking at her phone. So the Italian film. You're looking at your iPad. Stop. I have I have legitimate notes here. Well, I'm <laughs> just listening to you two. Do your thing. So Assassin, the Italian film directed by uh, Visconti, uh, was actually not allowed in America to 1976 thanks to the lawyers that were, uh, or not not lawyers, but to the publishers of the book, uh, keeping that movie out of the U.S. The negative was actually destroyed by Mussolini's government. Oh, the only oh. reason exists now is that Visconti personally saved a print. <sighs> So it means can... the last turn, the last turn, the last turning. If mm -hmm. you want to be all what about it? Okay. So French movie, Italian movie, postman always rings twice. 
the one we just saw is the third version. And then in 1981, there was a version with Jack Nicholson and Jessica Lange banging each other on a kitchen table. So the name of the original novel was The Postman Always Rings Twice. Yes. Neither foreign film used that title. Nope. I feel like they went, we're going to fucking explain it. We're going to find a way to explain it. <laughs> yeah. This has been troubling people for God knows how long. We're going to make it happen. Mm -hmm. God bless him anyway. I would have just had a postman. <laughs> I would have just had a postman show up and ring the doorbell twice at some point. And been like, ha, huh, done. <laughs> Look at that. I made sense of it. What? All right. So let's actually talk about yeah. the movie. I want to talk about how much I loved the style choices for Lana Turner because, oh my God, amazing. Um, I loved that she's always in white, mm -hmm. uh -huh. except when bad shit is really about to happen and then she is in black and you know it's about to hit the fan. I, I also love the times when she's in white and then it gets dirty. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> because that's the turning points. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. When she leaves with Frank, I love you. Let's run away together. And she leaves a note for her husband and they start walking down the road together. And then she falls in the dirt. And you're right at that moment. You're like, this bitch ain't going to have none of that. Mm -hmm. This is not the life she wants. Yeah. When when she starts hiking down a highway in those those heels, those white heels. heels. Yeah. Oh, my God. You're like, no, that's that's not what she wants. What I like about her character, because the reason the Heights is doing this film series is women of noir. Yeah. Right. And so here's this famous female role. And of course, we know in noir that women have a lot more agency and she certainly does. But it's not the agency you're expecting from a noir film. Right. You're expecting her to be a lot more manipulative than she is. And the way it is played and the way it plays out you could honestly interpret it either as you could take it at face value of what she's delivering, or you could take it as she's just manipulating him. Both would be valid interpretations. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I really like that her character really is that Quicksilver. She's not just a bad female who's trying to manipulate everybody around her, which is totally enjoyable. And I love that in noir films. But what I liked about her character is that she really is that vulnerable. She really is in love with Frank, but she also will not put up with bullshit. Mm -hmm. And she wants what she wants. And she is willing to do anything she, she has to to get it. So even though she's willing to kill, she's not just manipulating Frank because she does love him. And I really liked that. It was unexpected. Because there came a point when he was falling in love with her when I'm like, oh, she's totally playing him. And then you realize she's not. Mm -hmm. She's really, really not. But I don't understand why she fell in love with Frank. <laughs> yes. Until well, by the end, you're like, both of them are kind of dumb. They both kind of they deserve kind of each other. Well, there's also the, you know, you keep seeing early on in the movie, she try keeps trying to draw her husband out. Like, let's, you dance with me. And, you she, know, I, she really I want to is, do something. I, Frank this, is clearly trying to seduce her. Yeah. And she wants none of it. She wants her husband to reassert that, she yeah, wants that her they have to a bond. Her. Yes. Yes. I, I, I am trying to be faithful to you. Hello. And her husband, Mr. Clueless. No, go dance with that handsome young man I just hired. I ain't got time for you. Go do that thing. Mm hmm <sighs> fine, I guess I'll fall in love with him. I mean, seriously, he kind of was asking for the betrayal to happen. Mm -hmm. And he's so clueless. And so you like him for the first part, but boy, that the scene, end. the scene Aww. where he tells, I sold the restaurant because they're going to put a highway in. Well, why wouldn't, and you can tell she's immediate, like, why are you selling? We could make so much money. I could have the life I want. Yes. <laughs> and he's like, nah. My sister's paralyzed. You're going to take care of her. It's for the best. You'll see. Yeah. I was so mad I'm on gonna, her behalf. Yeah, I was like, no. <laughs> I'm going to live a Just... great life based on the money that I get from this. Up in the middle of nowhere in the house that I grew up in. It's going to be great for me. Yeah. And I've made the decision without talking to you 
and you don't get a say. And when you see her just like, you, you don't I get a say? She Excuse even tries me. to work with him on it. Mm-hmm. That's that's the part. She doesn't just bottle up and and immediately plot, okay, I gotta get rid of this guy. She pleads with him because she wants to make it work. Mm-hmm. And, and, oh, and I mean, that's really the part where you're like, I kind of hate men of this era. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of hate all of them. Yep. Which is what makes noir films so interesting because it's so proto-feminist where it's about women looking at the situation they're in and going, uh, fuck you. Mm-hmm. I don't care if I am the bad guy. I'm going to get what I want. Thank God for that. Because it, <laughs> when, and if not for the Hayes Code, they would get away with it, too. <laughs> Honestly, when he's like, you're going to he's like, no, we're going to move up there. And I'm like, oh, she's not going to be happy with that. That is not the life she wants. But the minute he said, well, she's paralyzed, she's going to need us to take and but she'll live a good long time. He makes sure to point out other than that, she's totally healthy. She's going to live a good while. But she needs us to take care of her, especially you, a woman. And you're like, and you, I'm, all I'm thinking is, uh, and you, I think she even says, you want me to? And what she doesn't finish saying is, change your fucking diapers? (laughs) What? Are you even kidding me? If you've got enough money for us to live a comfortable life, you have enough money to hire a fucking nurse Mm -hmm. to go up there. Bye-bye. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah by the end of that scene i was like okay can we kill him now i will i will go over there and kill him for you <laughs> now that said they missed a perfect murder opportunity yes no, they yes a they few, did really he's drunk as a skunk uh-huh. they stop the car for reasonable reasons mm-hmm they, he gets out of the car. They don't even want him to get out of the car. This is what he's doing on his own. And he wanders over to the to a cliff edge. Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, no, get back in the car so I can bean you with a bottle in the car and shove the car down the cliff. And then it will be like an accident. I'm like, you could have just let him fall over the edge. And it would have been seriously like 5% different than what actually happened. <laughs> Yeah, it would have been a little more suspicious, though. It's like they had they had already married themselves to this plan that they were going to go over, look like they had gone over the edge in that car, because if they didn't go over there in their minds, there was no way they'd get away with it. I still think that the better idea would have been to just let him, like, get real close to the edge and play his echo theory out until he fell over himself. I mean, seriously, it that would have been that manslaughter yeah you're right you're right we shouldn't have let him go wandering around drunk next to a cliff edge but he was drunk and i was in the car and i was tired of paying attention and he fell off whoops see i'm kind of baffled why they were excited that he lived after falling down in the bathtub because you'd think you you have a witness for the cat that got electrocuted and was laying dead there the next day. Well, that one actually made sense. They were so terrified that they were under suspicion. They're like, we need him to live because if he dies, well, yeah. if he dies, then they're going to be like, ha ha, we think you planned it. But if it can't be an attempted murder, if he's alive, right? <laughs> and <laughs> but doesn't I don't... maybe remember that his wife totally clubbed him over the head with like ball bearings or whatever the hell that was. <laughs> yeah, seriously, that was like a. I thought they were totally going to line the bathtub with those things. <laughs> yeah, I, that's what <laughs> I wanted fall. to happen. And then I'm like, are they going to just pick him out of the tub when it's over? And just, oh yeah, yeah, it, been you know, it, it could be like a Warner Brothers cartoon. He skates yes. on the ball bearings. He slams his head on the tub because because there are corners in bathtub. Yes, in, in bathrooms. bathrooms yes. are dangerous. Bathroom, bathrooms are dangerous. And then you know nobody would say boo about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, this yeah. that would have made total sense yeah. to me. All right. Let's talk about Hume Cronin now. Oh, yes. Because we always must talk about Hume Cronin. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> the real hero of this movie. All right. So we enjoy <laughs> we enjoy how... But BT dubs the 
district attorney comes in when poor Frank is in the hospital. He has no legal representation and the district attorney is blatantly pressuring him without representation. Yeah. If Frank, and this is part of where I'm starting to go, you're kind of dumb. Mm -hmm. Frank should have been like, I'm not talking to you without a lawyer. I'm not talking to you without a lawyer. Where's my lawyer? Where's my lawyer? Because the DA pressures him into signing a, she was trying to kill me. Yeah. Complaint. Well, if you didn't do it, I know she was trying to kill him. Maybe she was trying to kill you too. So you should sign a complaint that she was trying to kill you too. It, which is okay, but, idiotic. Okay, so that that part is idiotic. But then, but he, here here we have this lawyer that's handling everything. Why did he not get that thrown out? <laughs> Why did he not go? That was under duress. It was forced. Well, get that shit thrown out. I we mean, didn't I, really have. It did fit into the, the bigger civil plan, rights yes. movement where we started to become more aware of our rights. Yes, mm-hmm. but Came it did also later play into the bigger plan of getting her off on the murder charge so there's the district attorney and he is smooth and he is smug Mm -hmm. and he's pinned frank chambers down and gotten him sweating and worried that he's gonna die in the gas chamber so sign this complaint ha ha and then knock 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 and in walks hume cronin and immediately he's like oh hey how you doing and he's like oh hey how you doing oh are are you the, this guy's lawyer? No, I'm the lawyer for Cora, for Mrs. Smith, for the for the woman in this case. Oh, I'm to I'm you know, and I'm in I'm totally the DA. I'm going to be prosecuting. Well, do you want to make a bet on who's going to win? <laughs> like seriously, within three sentences, they're like, "Hey, let's place a bet on who wins this." All right, you're on hundred dollars. Okay. And out goes the DA and Hume Cronin is, and oh, and the DA is like, ha ha, I already got him to sign the complaint. You shouldn't have made the bet. Ha 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 ha. And he leaves and Hume Cronin is talking to him and he's like, well, that was dumb of you to do that. But, and he literally says, I'm handling this. And you need to remember when you start to wonder what's going on, I'm handling this. (laughs) I'd tell you what my plans are, but since you signed that complaint, I don't want to give you any more information. Ta-ta! And you're just like, what? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, oh, God. This man's a sneaky-ass lawyer. What's he going to do? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's a glorious thing. Oh, the way God. he plays the system is so great. So they stand up in court, and that's where Cora finds out that Frank betrayed her. What? And the DA's like, um... So we're charging her. And Hume Cronin says, we plead guilty. And she, the look on her face. We do what? (laughs) What? We plead guilty. Can we get this moved to Superior Court immediately? Yes, we can do that tomorrow. Right there, you know it's a fantasy. Courts do not move that quick. No, no. Yes, we can do this in Superior Court tomorrow morning. Bullshit. We'll do sentencing at 10 a.m. tomorrow. It's fine. No big deal. (laughs) It's totally fine. It's totally fine. But I do like the way they moved it along. And and so the DA is like, yeah, we can totally do that. She's going to plead guilty. Ha ha. So they go into this room. They put Cora in the room and Cora's hot under the collar. She's so mad at Frank. I want to confess. And Hume Cronin comes in and she's like, what the hell are you doing? I don't want to plead. And if I go, I'm taking him with me and I want to confess. And he's like, you do not want to. Con- I want to confess. Fine. And he leaves <laughs> and you're like. Is he going to really let her confess? Is he really handling this? <laughs> or is he, he just going to wash keep, his hands? He keeps saying, it? I'm handling this. I'm handling this. I am handling this. All right, fine. And nobody and, believes him. <laughs> and in comes this guy and he takes her statement where she confesses and leaves and Hume Cronin comes in and and she's like, ha. And he's like, okay, here's the deal. He got the confession out of him. So he, you two would start fighting so he could get the confession out of you. And you were so hot under the collar to do it. That's why I had you plead guilty immediately because I had to get you out of there before you started talking in the courtroom because you so badly wanted to tell somebody what you had done. Well, yeah, and I just told that guy. That guy works for me, dummy. <laughs> yeah, I'm dumbass. handling this. <laughs> because I told you I'm fucking handling this. Now, we're going to do this my way. 
and you're going to sit down and you're going to shut up and you're going to do whatever I tell you and try to look innocent and sweet. And here's the thing. She's really good at looking innocent and sweet. Mm -hmm. I mean, and then she'll flip a switch and she just looks at you and she's cold and you're like, wow, I don't know which one's real. Maybe they're both real, Mm -hmm. which would be awesome, right? People are complex. And then the best court scene ever. Uh, actually, we don't plead guilty. <laughs> well, see, I thought she did it yesterday, but in the 24 hours since then, I've talked to her and now nah, I don't think she did it. And as her lawyer, I am obligated to provide her with the best defense. <laughs> and Mr. DA, DA is all gobble, gobble, what? <laughs> That is absolutely a, a verbatim line from the movie. A what? And and then he's like, excuse me, could I talk to the district attorney for just a moment privately? And the judge is all like, whatevs. And he goes over there and he's like, I can tell by your reaction. You don't actually have any evidence. You were bluffing. So here's what I'll give you. You're going to drop the attempted charge on trying to kill Frank and you're going to reduce the murder charge to manslaughter and you're going to recommend that the judge be lenient. Mm -hmm. That's what's going to happen right now because you were bluffing and I gotcha. And the DA's face is just like, fucking hell. (laughs) God damn it. And he straightens up and he does, and you're waiting for a double cross or something, but nope, he does exactly like that. Hume Cronin plays the world like a violin. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Hume Cronin. Look at the, listen to the music. And that's exactly the way it plays out. And then he drives. Cora and Frank back to the house and they are not talking to each other because she is pissed at Frank because he's a fucking coward and she's got a fair point. Mm-hmm. And they get there and he's like, oh, and somewhere in there it was like, also your husband took out a $10,000 life insurance policy. That's why you bumped him off. And both Cora and Frank are like, what? what? <laughs> so they arrive there and Hume Cronin is like, here's the check from the insurance that's how I knew he didn't have anything on you because if the insurance was willing to give you the money and the insurance investigators couldn't find anything, he didn't have nothing. (laughs) I should keep this check. I'm so awesome. Nah, I already got 10,000. Here you go. (laughs) Who is this guy? The best person. I mean, I'm telling you the whole scene just so, but that does not mean you should not go watch it because I cannot watch do it. It is repeatedly glorious. I cannot do justice to the yeah. Hume Cronin that happens oh. in that scene. There, there was so good. Hume Cronin was in Cleopatra, the Liz Taylor one, and um, oh, that's an overblown mess. Yeah, it it really is. But there was one movie critic who went to see the movie, and he really wasn't happy about it but i think he opened the review with i never miss a hume cronin movie (laughs) 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 and i think that's that's a sentiment we should all hold in our hearts yeah never miss a hume cronin movie it's true i also liked the whole blackmailing sequence yeah yeah, blackmailed by the voice of fred flintstone no less (laughs) (laughs) i just i just looked that shit up because i was like he looks really familiar and I don't know why, but I just... So Fred, <laughs> Fred Flintstone, Flintstone comes into blackmail. And yeah. <laughs> but they work together beautifully. Yes. And they and it's so satisfying that they basically are like, fuck you. Mm-hmm. I it mean, brings it really them together, is. finally. It does. It acts as a way to bring them together to get over their snit with each other. And I, and I love that the movie set up that she wasn't drinking anymore first yes and then when they're in that scene and she fills her glass with beer you go oh something's up yes she and and he knows and he knows because she told him she wasn't drinking so when she fills her glass with beer he knows she has a yeah i mean the two of them really do work well together and they both have the same instincts which is also what gets them in trouble yeah because they both are suspicious people and the minute either one of them looks remotely cross-eyed they're like ah what are you doing (laughs) 
Yep. And that's something you don't often think about is we all know that if you if you run into a person and that person cheats on their their partner to be with you, you are never going to trust them. You should never well, trust them. Yes. <laughs> you probably... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There's there's a verbiage that needs to be. <laughs> okay. Because often when you get in those situations, you're like, no, but he really loves me. No, if he's going to cheat on her to be with you, once he's with you, he's going to cheat on you to be with somebody else. This is the way it works. Well, the flip side of that is, hey, we planned a murder together. If you're willing to murder him to get your way, what happens when I get in the way? <laughs> I don't think I want to trust you. I think I kind of want to keep an eye on you. And that's the thing. I feel like planning a murder together could be something that really brings you together, but it, you'd have to really communicate. <laughs> <laughs> It is either the glue that holds you together or or it, it is well like so it many is the acid that dissolves your relationship. Like so many traumatic life events in any relationship, it's really about communication and keeping making sure that you get you keep the trust. Right. <laughs> now we both know we're killing this guy for this reason, but we're not gonna kill each other. Because right? we don't have that reason. It's fine, right? It's fine, right? It's good. <laughs> You'd tell me if I was pissing you off before you just killed me, right? <laughs> we can talk about this, right? We tried talking to him. We agreed to that, right? We we had that discussion. It didn't work. Now we're doing this. I mean... There's there's a hierarchy. Yeah, yeah like, <laughs> I would expect that... Yeah, I would expect that, like, okay, now we're disagreeing. And as we're disagreeing and, like, maybe I'm not giving in and you're like... You need to know we're reaching murder level obstinacy. <laughs> if you do not cave, I'm going to start possibly thinking about how I would kill you and get away with it. C compromise. Compromise. Look, I'm willing to bend a little bit, but if you don't bend a little bit with me, then I'm going to start thinking that there are other options on the table. FYI. I feel like that would be true. Right? Right. Okay. So briefly. Mm-hmm. So, because we were talking about the uh, the the blackmail scene, what is so his punches are <laughs> so ridiculous. Oh, oh was God. he a boxer? Did you say? No, 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 Hume Cronin no, no. was the boxer. Hume Cronin, yeah, so, Hume Cronin would have So, been. so Hume Cronin could have totally laid somebody out. So he's basically kind of slapping, slapping. him. It even sounds then, like slaps. And then as he's slapping him, he's supposedly bloodying his nose, but partially because of the black and white. But it also kind of starts looking like maybe he's just got chocolate syrup on his hand and he's smearing it across his face. <laughs> it's just some Bosco. It's yeah. Ha <laughs> 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 you're dirty. And the dude's like, stop hitting me. I'm so sorry. And, and then he's smart enough to go, call your friends. I don't have any friends. Call your friends. I don't have any friends. Call your friends. Okay, I've got one friend. I mean, he's smart enough yeah. to know. You've you got... don't blackmail by yourself. That's yeah. stupid. <laughs> and then when the dude shows up, and she's right there with the gun on him. You're like, oh, these two really work well together. And then he's, he, she's like, I've got it. And he's like, check the rest of the pockets. Hey, they made copies. Yeah, I fucking figured, man. Why didn't he bring photostats with him? Not you a, keep those in the safe. You keep those in the safe. Yeah. Yeah. Because they are not the smartest blackmail. And I Fred Flintstone was blackmailing them. <laughs> and Barney came in and Barney brought Barney the Barney is not the brightest bulb on the tree. <laughs> yo, yo, Fred, oh, I got the copies. <laughs> Just like you said. <laughs> I got the whole stack right here. Yeah, but that I do. What I loved, I expected them to want to have some sort of revenge, but they were smart enough to realize once we have the papers, it doesn't matter what you do. Right. I don't need to hurt you. I don't need to threaten you. I don't need to kill you. None of that. Ha ha. Got it from you. <laughs> you can leave now and don't come back. Don't come back. And then, but that's when she finds out that he cheated on her. While her mother was dying. What an asshole. <laughs> Except that she was totally like, fuck you. You're never getting any of this again. So? Yeah. yeah no, I mean, seriously. <laughs> they got married because after the husband was dead and they come back and she's pissed at him and he's pissed at her and she's like, you could just leave. And he's like, I'm not going anywhere. And he stubbornly sticks around to show her, ha ha, you can't make me do things. I kind of love you still. <laughs> just a little maybe. You gonna look at me? No. Well, that's fine. Cause I don't love you. 
maybe a little I do. <laughs> and and so and then And then she spite marries him and it's the greatest thing. <laughs> because Hugh Cronin shows up and, he, and the, with the DA and they're like, what the actual fuck? And he's like, well, he's getting complaints because you two are living here in a house and you're not married and it looks really suspicious. And considering you're both still under suspicion for killing the ex-husband, you know, the dead husband. Um, and she's like, well, I know how to solve that problem. Smash cut wedding. <laughs> like, seriously, I think it was five minutes later. Yeah. She like put on a nice dress, freshened up her lipstick, smooched Hume Cronin. Not, she didn't smooch <laughs> Frank Chambers. No, she smooched Hume Cronin, because wouldn't you? And he's, right? and he's, and oh, yeah. ooh, how's that taste? And he's like, and, and Frank is like, I don't even remember. I don't even remember. And she's like, yeah, and you never will. I mean, she says right there, I am. Yeah, you're never getting any of this. We got married this next to the beer license. Done. <laughs> yeah, she just kind of chucks it on the floor. <laughs> like somewhere. she's like, whatever, whatevs. I married you so that I don't have to deal with people talking. Fuck them. No, we're not. Ha- no, we're not married. Married, and you're not getting any of this ever. And then she goes off to her mother's, and he's like, "Well, based on what you said, why wouldn't I sleep around?" And I'm, I'm kind of on his side with that one. She made it clear this was not what the what the marriage was about. And she therefore forfeits any right to be pissed. You're never going to sleep with me. That's not what's going to happen. This is not the marriage we have. Okay, then I'm going to go sleep with her. What? But you love me a little. I keep hearing you say it under your breath. <laughs> <laughs> and then she gets all pissed. You slept with that other woman. Yeah, but I love you. And I only slept with her because I thought you didn't want me anymore. But I did want you. You do want me? Let's go for a swim. And that was yeah. what was so great. She's like, let's oh, swim wow. out until we're too tired to even make it back. And the whole crowd in the Heights starts laughing because <laughs> we're all expecting shit yeah. to go down. And then it doesn't. Mm-hmm. It was totally 100% at face value. Which then you're like, oh, oh. And then I want to kiss you. Let's wait till we get home. And you're just like, wait till you get home. Wait till you get home. You are not good with cars. <laughs> I'm I'm pretty think... sure that was an old Colgate billboard about not making out in the car. And it was like, he kissed the miss and missed the curve. <laughs> <laughs> kissed the miss and, and missed, missed the, the curve. curve. It was like a series of three billboards that you'd see as you're driving. Burma shave. Yes. Yes. Thank Burma you. Shave. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. So the postman always rings twice is referencing the fact that he was under suspicion for one murder, which he really did, but he's going to the gas chamber because they think he killed Cora on purpose. And he's torn up about that because he didn't. And he's worried that she maybe in the last second of her life thought that he did. And that's not what happened. I wasn't trying to kill her. It was an accident. And then the DA comes in. I just heard from the governor and he looks at him and he shakes his head dramatically (laughs) and people kind of titter. And he's like, but here's the thing. I found this note and it's obvious it's from Cora to you. And it's very sweet and it's very beautiful and heartfelt. It does also give information that makes it clear the two of you fucking totally killed her husband. So I believe that you didn't kill Cora. But if I let you off for this one, you're just going to wind up right back here for killing her husband anyway. So how about we just kill you now? <laughs> and Frank's all like, that yeah. sounds like a good deal to me. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Because I should have remembered. I should have remembered the postman always rings twice. You, you, It's like when you're waiting for a letter, you're waiting for something you really want and you're waiting and you're worried that you won't hear the postman ring, but you got to remember he'll ring twice. He wants to get your attention. He'll make sure to get you. You always hear him on the second try, even when you're in the backyard. Like, <laughs> and I'm just sitting there like, this is this really is, long explanation. This is, this is what going mad feels like. <laughs> so the postman is God and or fate. He's, he wants to go to heaven now because he believes that now Cora will believe he didn't do it or something. So I'm going to go to heaven and I'm going to be with Cora because the postman rings twice because he makes sure to get you. But it's a good thing 
And Hayes so, Code. <laughs> and Hayes Code. End scene. So is it that is it the second murder that'll get you, except it wasn't a murder? Or is it that they're going to do you twice for the same murder, but the, you got off the first time, but the second time we got you? It kind of doesn't matter. It's clearly, it's very convoluted and strange. But yeah, that's what the postman is. The postman is karma. I kind of wanted the postman to be like a super spy mailman <laughs> with a gun, maybe in the mafia. <laughs> yeah, see, you better do it. I'll deliver you. What? I just don't know. I think there's a concept in there that... <laughs> <laughs> the postman always rings twice because he's, what, obsessive compulsive? See, this is something we should have like written out what we thought that meant before we saw the film. Oh, and, and then built we... an entire film around the oh, idea of the postman ringing twice. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. then went and saw the film and went, Come oh, on, okay. did you not think there was a postman that might show up? No, because she saw the Jack Nicholson. I've seen seen the Jack Nicholson. (laughs) Okay, so you know. Who played Nick in that? Oh, God, I don't remember. It's been so long since I've seen that movie. I really don't want to watch Jack Nicholson and Jessica Lange have sex. Yeah, it it really wasn't that great of a movie. It did spark that, that 1980s trend of steamy adult movies though a steamy adult noir yeah steamy adult noir uh films i, I mean that and of course uh, chinatown sparked the noir thing but you know after you got the postman always rings twice remake you got uh like body heat yep. and fatal attraction and all that that yeah. whole string of them so final thoughts anyone anyone john colicos john colicos oh was Nick? Huh. <laughs> Baltar. Baltar did play Nick in the remake. The original wow. Baltar. Oh wow. That made me, my night. So I So I asked for final thoughts and I got Baltar. I guess I can't do any better than that, huh? Final thoughts. <laughs> Lana fucking Turner. Mm-hmm. Like Lana Turner, Kim Cronin. A sassy script. Yeah. And <laughs> dead cats. And and a, dead, a beautiful but very dead cat. Oh, that cat. Hey, look, it's that cat. That cat is so beautiful. Not very smart. Cats, cats don't know do anything nothing. about like. Well, you look at that. That cat's climbing up that ladder. Gosh darn, I like cats. <laughs> Always up to something. Always up to, he does. He says it. Always up to something. Well, see ya. I'm going to go spell moon now. <laughs> final Uh, thoughts yeah what a and what a what complex characters Mm -hmm. really enjoyable characters not very a lot of gray no wonder the Hayes code was going crazy there's a whole lot of gray there of yeah but i can kind of see your point oh yeah yeah oh but i can kind oh you're likable wait you want to move where (laughs) you want to make your wife do what? What? No. Look at her. She's not going to want to do that. She wears high heels <laughs> to go swimming <laughs> in the sand. Seriously. Seriously. Oh, it's a brilliant movie, though. Brilliant. Absolutely loved it. Final thoughts, Allie? I think Wendy said, like, everything. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> you said it well, so I don't need to repeat anything. <laughs> Lana Turner's legs, Hume Cronin's face. Together they fight crime. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) They both cause crime. I would still read. I would watch that film. I don't know fight crime. Like they cause crime and get you off at the same time. Well, that doesn't. (laughs) No, no, no. no, no. That's perfect. Airing next on Adult Swim. So, dear listeners, our next movie will be Fallen Angel. Uh-huh. The, the Heights Theater is doing Thursday Noir during February, and yep. this is great for us. Yep, we are using that to our fullest extent. So next Thursday, we will be going to see Fallen Angel with Linda Darnell and other people. So, yes. Yes! I- and uh, so I was Melissa, and this was... Wendy. And... Allie. Hooray! Hooray! And we will see you all in approximately two weeks. 
Real education in the shadows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you enjoy our film fixation. We'll see you next time on a noir education. Thank you for joining us for a real education noir. New episodes arrive on the 7th and 21st of every month. Please visit our website at r-e-e-l-e-d-u-n-o-i-r dot com. Once there, you can comment on our episodes, as well as find links to our feeds on iTunes, Twitter, and Facebook. Special thanks to Tim Wick, Jeffrey Brown, and Chad Dutton for our theme music. If you like our show, you might also like our parent podcast, A Real Education, which discusses all genres of film. You can find it on the web at r-e-e-l-e-d-u dot com. Thank you for listening. Until next time. Behind you for a thing like that. Oh, but not if you do it right. And you're smart, Frank. You'll think of a way. Plenty of men have.